Last largely we looked at being the state in our reactions, being the state in how we behave, how we react to circumstances and situations in our lives. And we do so in a way that brings glory and honor to God. We do so in a way that is biblical. And so today we are looking at the last lesson in that series, session six, and that is distinct in my love. Distinct in my love. We ought to be distinct in the way that we demonstrate the love of God that has been shared abroad in our hearts. No, most of the times, if not all the time, we behave, uh, we are branded uh, because of our lack of love. And people use expressions like, well, if she or he or she is a child of God, I don't want to be one. And it's basically because of the lack of demonstrating the love of God. The whole world knows that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so they expect that that love to be demonstrated through the lives of those who name the name of Christ. Those who say they love the Lord and, and know him and serve him. So the first question then is, uh, one page 117, page 117, what is, when is it appropriate to use the word love? When is it appropriate or the right time to use the word love? It is used so flippantly today, when is the right time to use it? Anybody? Hmm? <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> okay. I think when one is experiencing uh, a grave uh, tragedy in their lives, losses, that kind of thing. Okay. Everybody heard that? Yes. Yeah. Speak a little louder <laughs> so they can hear. When one is experiencing great loss, great tragedy, um, loss of family, um, that kind of thing is when one expects to receive love and support when they are most down and out and downtrodden. That kind of person. Now, that kind of situation and condition is when love could be most. Okay, good. This is good, good answer. But you see, the goal of the question is to get us talking about the different ways people use love in our culture today, and that's a good start. That's one of the ways that people do it. Whenever there's a crisis, then we, we hear that word love coming out. Anybody else? Sister Beth? No, I This happened between my husband and I. Um, the first time he told me he loved me, um, I had been brought, I didn't know what he meant by love because I had been trained uh, coming up through my family and my dad uh, always teaching the dating series every three years to the young people that you don't tell a girl that you love her until the next sentence you say is, Will you marry me? <laughs> I've been saving those four letters for one man, and uh, he said, I love you, and I said, I love you, and I was waiting, and he didn't say, will you marry me? <laughs> he wanted to, but he was, he thought he's probably just too sudden, you know, shy. So anyway, that shook me up, and that was when I 
you know, I was really aware of, well, what does he mean by love? I know what I mean by love. So there are a lot of varieties of yeah. One okay, that's one of the different ways people use love in our country. Just, uh, well, I was going to say to show affection and appreciation. Okay. When I was small, I would people say love is blind, and Margaret says, I'm high over. Boy, you know, that's true. <laughs> that is a very truthful old saying. <laughs> True. Amen. Okay. So those are the different ways love is used in our culture today. And of course there are many others. Okay, let's look at the, uh, someone read the Bible meets life on page 118 please. In America today, we love everything. Think about all the ways you use that four-letter word during a given week. We love burgers, children, puppies, ice cream, college football, spring days, vacations, action movies, romantic movies, and gazillions of other things. Isn't it amazing that with the wealth of words we have at our disposal in the English language, we use the same term to describe, describe our feelings about a hot dog as we do to describe our relationship with our mother. Surely we can't feel the same way about a cat video on the internet as we do about our own children. Most of the time we use the word love to describe anything that makes us feel good at a given moment. With that definition, it's no wonder we fall out of love with people at about the same rate we fall out of love with certain kinds of food. Jesus calls us to something more. As his followers, we are called to love in the way he does. That standard of love is unconditional, Okay, so that's the kind of distinct love that we are supposed to have, and that's what the lesson is focusing on today. Notice the point on, on the page, top page 118. Love everyone how? Unconditionally. That means with no strings attached, right? But we like to start, attach strings to everything, don't we? Okay, I'll love you or I'll do this if you do that. Or I'll do that if you do this. It's always a string attached. But love, it ought to be unconditional with no strings attached. Uh, and so we need to think of God's unconditional love for us and ask him to bless us with the wisdom that we need to understand uh, his word with regard to love. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. Read Matthew chapter 5 on page 119. Let's look at the, uh, read verses 43 to 45. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay. You notice Jesus began this section of the Sermon on the Mount with the declaration that he did not come to destroy the law, 
or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Of course, the religious leaders of that day saw it differently. And so he had to declare that because they were hearing some things that they hadn't heard before. And they were quite, you know, adamant that, hey, we, never, we don't know about this stuff. And so Jesus had to declare to them that he didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. And so he set out in six statements to demonstrate what he meant. The pattern he employed was the phrase, you have heard that it was said. And he used that phrase over and over. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you, I tell you. What we say today, I tell you that. I tell you that. That's the way Jesus would put it. And this final statement forms the climax of the entire section that he that he went through and demonstrates that love is at the heart of Jesus' ministry and his mission. The heart of his ministry and mission is love. And that's what he wanted the people to get. And so Jesus began with a quotation from Leviticus in 19.18. Love your neighbor. He then added, and hate your enemy. This addition is not found in the Old Testament. But it, is, it was apparently the kind of conclusion many Jews had come to. And so the conclusion they came to, if Jesus says, love your neighbor, they automatically implied that you ought to hate your enemy. That was an implication. It wasn't taught. And sadly, many people carry that same implication today uh, in their, not necessarily their verbal declarations of what they feel about the enemy, but with their personal applications about what they do to their enemy. And that's why we get the phrase or the, the cliche, uh, you kill my cat, I kill your dog. Because if, if you do me wrong, I'm not going to do good to you. I'm going to do wrong to you because you hurt me. I'm going to do something to you that makes you feel just as hurt as I am because of what you've done for me. And so that that what the Jews did in Jesus' day is a carryover in our day in, in terms of secular culture. But Jesus says we ought to not only love our neighbor, but we ought to love our enemy as well. And that was a strange thing for the people to hear. Love your enemy? Why would you want to do that? What a crazy thing to do. But it's what Jesus taught. Okay, let's look at uh, page 120. Uh, we have those paragraphs on page 120. Notice, most of the world operates by a single premise. Love those who love you. In this worldview, people only get into relationships for what they gain from them. Isn't that so? Every relationship is worth serving. It is, every relationship is self-serving. Thus, a relationship ceases to give you what you want. You simply move, oh, sorry, if a relationship ceases to give you what you want, you simply move on to the next one. The kingdom of God does not operate that way. Okay, now that's typical of what we see in our world today, right? Okay, people get into a relationship because they see something they really want. And if they get into that relationship, they don't get what they want, then it's move on to the next one. Isn't that so? That's the way people operate today. Okay, let's have someone read the rest of that, please, from Jesus Calls. Jesus called us to love those who feel animosity and even hatred toward us. He gave us an example from weather. 
Whether the rain falls, the evil receive the benefit in the same way the righteous do. This is God's common grace. It's common because he extends it to everyone. This doesn't mean God approves of everything that happens on the earth. It only means God's love is completely distinct from all love. He extends his love to people not because they love him, but because it's in his character to do so. Jesus gave us our marching orders. Love and pray, and don't just pray for people who wish you good. Also pray for those who wish you evil. Prayer shapes our hearts. When we pray for someone who is difficult to love, we will find our hearts being bent towards that person. The reason is simple. It's hard to hate someone you are asking God to bless and help. Prayer expresses our love. Prayer is one of the best ways we have to express our love for someone. We are asking the God of the universe to exercise his power on behalf of someone else, for his or her good. That's powerful. Isn't it? That's really powerful, isn't it? But that's hard for some people to do, you know. Really hard. Because when someone do you something wrong, what do you want to do? What's the first inclination? Strike back. Strike back. You want them to hurt. You want them to feel the same kind of hurt that they inflicted on you. It depends on the person. Yeah, everybody don't go that far. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. Some people don't go that far. Some people are sneaky with it. You know, they will do it in a way where it really makes a tremendous impact in a negative way on the other person. Okay, question number two. What are some practical ways to love those we don't like? What are some practical ways to love those we don't like? Okay. Develop a mindset to love no matter what. Okay, so you gotta psych yourself up to love them. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Practical ways. Okay, to do something nice for them, and uh, that will really throw them off. You know, they think, whoa, whoa. Kill them you know, with what? kindness. Kill them with kindness. All right, okay. That's a practical way. Okay, do the unexpected. Do something they'll never in a million years expect that you would do. In, in light of what they have done to you. Okay, that would really throw them off. Okay, something they'll never forget. Okay. Uh, question number three. When has prayer changed your attitude and actions towards someone difficult to love? Or put another way, when's the last time prayer changed your attitude and actions towards someone that was really hard for you to love? Really difficult. Um, our, we were moving, all three of the children in my family, including me, were all in the college age years. And the Lord moved our family to a new ministry from Wisconsin to Michigan. And it wasn't easy for all of us to leave the church family we love, we had grown up with for over 18 years. And so it wasn't that we hated and disliked the people we were going out to move and live with. Well, we didn't know them. 
and our hearts were still back in Wisconsin. And so my dad, the Lord gave my dad a beautiful idea. Um, we, we saw this as it was born out. We didn't realize it right away. He brought the prayer sheet home from our new church. And he, unlike ever before, came home every day at lunch. Because we were still home and not going back to university yet in the fall. And he had, we divided the prayer sheet and we had devotions in the Word and we prayed through that prayer sheet every day and we all prayed for different things. So he was making us curious, the Lord was making us curious and interested in those people uh, and wanting to know more because we were praying for these people in black and white print, but we became more interested in them because we were praying for Amen. Good. The Lord changed our hearts. Uh, he would. He would. It's difficult to, you know, hate somebody who, uh, you know, you're praying for. Okay. Let's look at the other passages, the other verses. Verses 47 to, 46 to 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Give me the task that just do the same. And if you bring only your brothers, what are you doing out of ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Okay. Because we can stop right there. Um, notice we, if we don't demonstrate our love in a practical way, we are no different from the other people who don't demonstrate love. Uh, and he calls them the Gentiles or the pagans or whatever you know we would uh, use to to describe them. Um, Jesus had two rhetorical questions intended to make an important point. And, uh, and Jesus called his followers to love in a more radical way. And that's what it really takes to show to demonstrate distinct love, to love in a radical way. He employed two sets of he employed two sets of two rhetorical questions to drive home his point. The first set began with if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? This question drove home the point that love restricted only love restricted only to those who return love reveals nothing of the unconditional and unlimited love of God. Okay, so you know you're not doing anything different from what the world would do. Paul pointed out that God proves his own love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Right? Had God only loved those who loved him, you and I would have never known that kind of love. We would have never known the love of God. And so, his love was for sinners, his enemies. When Jesus died for us, each believer life serves as a striking testimony that God did not practice the restricted love those practice or restricted his love to those who only loved him. He loved all of us. And so that's the kind of love that we ought to be demonstrating if we're talking about uh, our love being distinct. It ought to be different from the way the world demonstrates what they call love. And, and basically, what the world calls love is not just not necessarily love at all. Uh, it's uh, 
you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You don't scratch mine, I wouldn't scratch yours. That's the way the world look at it. You give me what I want and I'll give you what you think you want. Let's look at the paragraphs on page 121. Someone read that, please. If we only love those who love us in return, that's easy. Tax collectors were locals who had gone over to the side of the Romans because of their own greed. They collected taxes for Rome plus whatever additional money they deemed fit. Needless to say, the tax collectors were despised, but even they loved those who loved them. Similarly, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles as irreligious people. That's right, yeah. Pagan in both nature and customs. Gentiles didn't have the first idea about who God is, and they actually showed it. But Jesus maintained that even the Gentiles greeted those they called brothers. Jesus was not validating the contempt that flowed through the community towards the tax collectors and Gentiles. Instead, he was using the people's own self-righteousness and judgment against them. Even the tax collectors and Gentiles loved in the easy way. Jesus calls his followers to a harder kind of love. He wants us to put ourselves out there, risk rejection and ridicule, and then do it all over again with no thought of reciprocation. According to Jesus, the defining mark of his true follower is love. Love is the one element of discipleship that can't be faked. Many people might perform miracles and do all kinds of other religious deeds, but that doesn't mean they will enter the kingdom of heaven. We can become very adept at playing disciple by sheer acts of will. But you can't manufacture genuine love. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me say it again. Love is the greatest defining mark of a Christian. Those who truly love demonstrate they have experienced the love of Jesus Christ and are growing in their understanding of the great love of God in Christ. Okay, amen. Now notice some of the high, the, the, the points, main points are mentioned there. It says, if we only love those who love us in return, that's easy, isn't it? Yeah. It's easy to love somebody who loves you. Why try to show in love for somebody who's, who's doing all kinds of hurtful things against you? Jesus is not validating the attempt that flowed through the community toward tax collectors and Gentiles. Instead, he was using the people's own self-righteousness and judgment against them. Even the tax collectors and Gentiles loved in the easy way. Then the next point, Jesus calls his followers to a harder kind of love. He wants us to put, our, put ourselves out there, risk rejection and ridicule, and then do it all over again with no thought of reciprocation. Interesting point. And then the third point he makes is, those who truly love demonstrate 
They have experienced the love of Jesus Christ and are growing. The key there is growing in their understanding of the great love of God in Christ. Question number four. What do we risk when we embrace Jesus' definition of love? Rejection. Rejection? Okay. Anyone else? Well, I might tell you, Mark, they don't love you. Mm-hmm. Oh, Rejection, yeah. yeah. They don't want to love you, Mark. They won't return the sentiments. Okay, what else do we risk by embracing Jesus' definition of love? They'll make fun of you. Okay. <laughs> okay, insults, right? We also open ourselves up to abuse. Some people take take that for granted, and they'll try to use you. They'll take you for granted. Okay, they said, oh, you know, they demonstrate I could do whatever I feel like to them, and they're always going to show this kind of attitude toward me. So they take advantage of people. Okay, so that's one of the risks we take. Okay, what do we risk personally? Question from a different uh, couple of angles. What do we risk personally? What do we risk from people in our tribe or our little cliques? What do we risk from the culture around us? And so there are a whole number of parameters that can open up in terms of what we risk when we show uh, or embrace Jesus' definition of love. People will often take it for granted and they will use you because they, 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 they know who you are. Oh, she, she's, a, she's a Christian, she can do, she, I can do whatever I feel like doing to her and she's not gonna retaliate. You know, she's just gonna show more goodness uh, because that's what they are. You know, so you, we open ourselves up to a lot of things when we embrace Jesus' kind of love. Okay, verse 48, the last verse, as we conclude, we find that what Jesus may what, what may be Jesus' most controversial but most frightening statement of all? One that we are scared of, probably want to stay away from. In Verse 48. Therefore, I say I have this father is perfect. Okay, and we have a little definition there on what perfect means in the context, right? Perfect can mean flawless. It can also have the sense of control. Okay, the, the page uh, 122 gives us a little clearer definition of uh, or an understanding um, of what that verse is saying. Let's look at that uh, paragraph on page 122. Someone read that, please. <laughs> the reader. The word perfect, we tend to think of something flawless, without error. Christine, if that's what Jesus meant in verse 48, it becomes an absolutely crushing statement. Thankfully, that's not the case. Jesus didn't have the kind of passion in mind. The word he used here was so much about flawlessness, but function. Imagine you're a young parent preparing to assemble a crib. You open the box and see a dizzling array of 
diagrams and parts. As you assemble the grid, you notice a set of screws and require a special tool to tighten them. Fortunately, the manufacturer included a tool that fits just right. The bed finally comes together. The tool was the perfect tool for its function. You might never use it again, but for that moment and on that particular occasion, it fit just right. Was the tool absolutely perfect in terms of its flawlessness? Probably not, but to do the job it was designed for, it was good and right. It was perfect. We need to look at Jesus, called call to be perfect in terms of, of our function. Words 28 reminds us that we are... 48. 48. Reminds us that we are the stank among God's creation. We are created in His image to relate to Him in a unique way. To be created in God's image means we were made to display God's character and glory in every part of our lives. We should strive to be the kind of caring God is, and we should love like God does. God loves those who don't acknowledge Him. God generous to those who don't recognize or reciprocate his generosity. God provides for those who are ungrateful, and we are to be like him. That's what makes us distinct. Okay, so we get some valuable lessons here. Now, while Matthew 5, 48 brings the section on loving our enemies to an end, it also brings the entirety of the six contrasts to a proper conclusion that Jesus used. Jesus called his followers to display a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember that? He's always talking about that. You got to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. They strive for perfection. The six statements illustrated what Jesus meant by the declaration, the greater righteousness would be one, to go beyond merely not murdering and refuse even to use wrathful speech toward, an, uh, toward a brother or sister. Secondly, go beyond merely not committing physical adultery and refuse even to look lustfully at a woman. Three, go beyond the culturally acceptable reasons for divorce and seek reconciliation instead of separation. Four, go beyond swearing falsely and live lives of integrity so others do not need to be convinced of the truthfulness of our words. Five, go beyond retaliation and respond with humble resistance to evil. And six, go beyond ordinary love and love radically, including those who would make themselves to be our enemies. And so as we begin to live and love like this, we become complete in life and love and portray a fuller and more accurate reflection of God the Father and His Son. And so, we are challenged to be perfect. Now there's an activity on page 123. Look at it. How would your life be different if you also, if you were able to perfectly display God's character and glory in these categories? Your relationships, your finances, your emotions, your dreams. Think about it. 
have you been blessed in these categories through your relationship with God? That's something to think about, isn't it? Finally, question number five. What are some opportunities we have to express unconditional love? What are some opportunities to express unconditional love? You may have a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, somebody who has been getting under your skin. And this lesson has challenged you to express unconditional love toward that person. That's what the question is calling us to. So it's something to think about. So we have to think about opportunities in multiple areas of, work, of our lives. Whether it's work, church, community, whatever. Think about how we can just express, good. just do good. Okay. Okay. As individuals and as a group of people yeah. or as a class of people, how we can do good. Randy, there are your guys, most unorthodox are probably most people anyway. But the principal part is, you can stand and you can say what you want to say. And I would listen to what you have to say. And when you get to say, let's say, you know, something like, maybe you might have had a bad case of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's look at the limit out on page. Page 124. Let's look at how we can live out this lesson today. Showing love by showing love the way God loves is what makes us truly distinct. Let's look for opportunities to stand apart from the rest of the world. One, pray. Commit to pray every day for one person in your life who is difficult to love. Pray that God will bless that person. Notice how your heart softens toward that person. Okay, anybody have someone that's difficult to love? Pray for them. <laughs> okay, is that in the marketplace? All right. Okay, pray for them. I pray for them all the time. I'm the only, I try to do everything in the world to help these people. See, there we go again. Yeah. You know, we talked about that, right? They will use you when they see you demonstrating the love of God. Exactly. Okay? Yeah, but the Bible, what, 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 still pray for them. I still pray for them. Okay, thank is the next one. Have you ever been difficult to love? Think of someone who loved you during a time when you were hard to love. Make a call and express your thanks for the way his or her love reminded you of the way God loves all the time. Okay, so put yourself in, in, in the opposite scene. You were a time, there was a time when you were difficult to love. You gave somebody else a hard time, just as much as they were giving you, they, they, they're giving you now. Okay, call them and thank them. <laughs> And then sacrifice. Jesus, Jesus loves us sacrificially. What is one practical way you can sacrificially love someone else this week? This is Rosie sound like you're doing that all the time. 
Okay, but that's something to think about. What is one way you can sacrificially uh, express your love in a practical way to someone doing? So we have our marching orders there, right? Pray, thank, and sacrifice. Okay, the uh, wrap up here is it's okay to love ice cream and puppies and call it football, but don't confuse all of that with God's love. The love he calls you to walk in. God loves you. Now go and do likewise. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you today for showing us and reminding us some of this stuff we already knew. We knew it a long time ago. How to demonstrate our love, how to be distinct in our love by loving those who don't love us and don't care anything about us. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may exercise the practical opportunities that we have before us, especially those that have been mentioned. And uh, may our hearts indeed be softened toward those that we demonstrate our love toward, even though their hearts are continuing hard to harden toward us. We ask your blessings now as we leave the service today, this, this, this class today, and go into the service. We pray, Father, for your blessed benediction. We pray for Pastor Elliot as he, as he brings the word today. And for all those who will be ministering alongside him in word and music, we ask, O oh, Father, that you would indeed be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.